What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Duval. Welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markowski. Jeremy, how the heck are we doing on this uh, nice, chilly, nice, sunny, chilly Duval Wednesday, a couple days before Christmas here? Oh, man, we're doing great. Um, You know, at this point, the Jaguars can no longer hurt me. Um, The season (laughs) obviously has come to an end. Um, It was over a long time ago, but a lot of the other grief has been lifted and and some of the other stress has been lifted. So now we can kind of just coast into the offseason here, maybe uh, pick up a win if we're lucky. But I mean, the weather's beautiful. Christmas is right around the corner. Holiday, whatever holiday you guys celebrate, family time. I mean, you couldn't be in a bad mood right now, not with this weather, not with the time coming up. I mean, it would be hard for me to be in a bad mood here today. Yeah, I said it last week, going to say it this week. If there is a game the Jaguars can win, it's probably this one. We will get into all of that. Um, we got a ton of news to get into, lots of Jaguars roster moves, a lot of stuff going on with the Jets right now, the Jaguars Week 16 opponent. Um, check out genjag.com. Keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And, of course, a big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Uh, make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Taproom on Roselle. Let's go ahead and jump in to some news. Ryquel Rock Armstead back in Duval, the running back uh, that was drafted a couple years ago by the Jaguars, um, had a really long negative I shouldn't say negative in relation to COVID, should I? Had a long bout with COVID last season. Didn't even get to play, and he never came off the COVID list in 2020. Uh, He did sign to the Packers practice squad this offseason, and that's where the Jaguars have signed him from, uh, the Packers practice squad. He's returning to Duval, so that's pretty exciting. There's not a ton of overlap between him and the current coaching staff. I think Daryl Bevel said he met him for about 30 seconds before he Uh, He was released and, you know, went off to Green Bay. So interesting to see Raquel Armstead back. He's a guy that has a good blend of size and um, athleticism, and I've always liked him. So it's interesting to see that he's back uh, in Jacksonville. 
Yeah, yeah, you can uh you can, you can't say that he uh was negative. He probably had a negative time with his career, yes. but I, I heard it was pretty rough for him. So glad he's doing okay, glad he's back. Um but yeah, I mean I always liked Armstead. I mean he's a good uh you know, he's a good backup guy. He's good for depth obviously with Carlos Hyde uh, being put on IR. His season's over with that concussion. Um obviously it was it was worse than than anybody realized. So you know, Rock Armstead is, is going to bring you some of the same things that you get from James Robinson and some of the same things that you would have gotten out of Carlos Hyde. So just a depth move here, but always a great story. You know, I love to see guys that, you know, did some good here. I mean, not that he was, you know, a standout crazy player, but he was always you know, seeming like a good guy and, and was around for a while. And, you know, it's good to see him back. Yeah, another feel-good story. Dylan Moses. Alabama linebacker picked up by the Jaguars after going undrafted. He had a hell of a time coming back from his injury at Bama during his final season, and he really just never looked like himself, played through pain. But the Jags picked him up, put him on the NFI list, a non-football injury list, that is. And he remains on the non-football injury list, but he is practicing now with the Jaguars this week. So if he's able to get healthy and come back from you know, pretty much – two, two and a half years of not really being himself. That would be huge for him, just a really feel-good story, but also could potentially be very big for the Jaguars because he's incredibly talented when healthy. Yeah, it would be a great story to see him come back and be able to play football again. And like you mentioned, I mean, just some brutal knee injuries. Obviously, we knew this year was going to be a rehab year for him. You know, that's really why he was here. Come in, work out with the NFL team, you know, get – get the benefits of, of an NFL rehab schedule and, and, you know, get himself up to speed. So great to see him practicing and we can always use depth in the defense. Absolutely. And I mean, Damian Wilson is only under contract for the remainder of 2021. If Moses is able to come in and show something, maybe he can compete for a starting job down the road. Uh, Travis Etienne, he is on the COVID list. He's also on the injured reserve, of course. Daryl Bevel said that he doesn't believe there's any close contacts with ETN. Uh, we haven't heard any more news about any more Jaguars hitting the COVID list to this point. So obviously you want ETN to to be all right here and, and uh, get past this, but Hopefully for the Jaguars, it's not seeping into the rest of the locker room. There's not con- close contacts like Daryl Bevel alluded to, and you're able to just kind of steer clear of this this uh, issue that's kind of sweeping the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, hope he's well, well wishes to him. But just like you mentioned, you know, we're going to have to keep our eyes on this because, you know, Daryl Bevel said there may not have been any close contacts, but ETN's been in the building. You know, it's not like these guys aren't around when they're on IR. He's there for game day. He's there probably every day, if I had to guess. I don't know that for certain, but I'm sure he's there a lot. So we've seen this just, like you said, sweeping through the NFL games being moved, rescheduled, hordes of players going onto the COVID list. I mean, we'll get into that with the Jets. So just got to cross your fingers and keep your eyes open because this might get a little hairy for the Jaguars as well. Yeah. Dan Arnold, designated to return from injured reserve. I did not expect him to be designated to return before the end of the season after he had that MCL a few weeks ago. So if he can get back and... um and play in a game or two before the end of the season, it could help Trevor certainly uh, maybe show some signs that he is progressing, some tangible signs that he's progressing in the last couple of games of the season. 
yeah, kind of shocking to see that as well. Um, I mean, I think we both agreed when it happened that he was done for the year. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I do like, you know, that the fact that Trevor's going to get potentially get, you know, a weapon back, a guy that he was consistently delivering the ball to, and that's good for him. It's good for his development, especially when we've seen, you know, the weapons that he has out there right now, uh, they're not very deadly. So it would be good to see him out there, but at the same time, knowing the potential that he does have, you know, in the future of this organization, seeing the things that we did see from him this year, I'd be pretty cautious to not rush him back out there. I'd like him to be healthy coming into 2022. I mean, this season, really, there's nothing much to play for at this point. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. As long as they're not rushing him back, I'm fine with it. Right. As so, long as there's no risk for further injury. Right. Uh, Rayshon Jenkins, he broke his ankle against the Texans in week 15. Tough break for him. No pun intended there. Um, he's a team captain, starting free, or starting strong safety for the Jaguars. And he's a guy that they signed to a reasonably big deal this offseason. And um, really didn't have a major impact for the team. He started a lot of games, definitely made some tackles, didn't make too many plays on the ball, didn't have, like I said, just didn't have a major impact statistically or from the eye test on the field. Certainly did make his plays, but also had some boneheaded mistakes that he made throughout the course of the season that cost the team. Next year, um, is a big, big season for him. And who knows if he's even going to remain in the starting lineup next year because you've got some young guys on the roster that could be pushing him for that spot. Um, and then he did sign a four-year deal, but there is an out after the second year. So if he doesn't prove something in year two in 2022, you could be looking at Rayshon Jenkins as another free agent bust for the Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sucks. I, I didn't see the injury, nor do I want to go back and look at it. It looked like it wasn't good. Um, you know, I think they put him in an air cast before they carted him off. So that's never a good thing. Like you said, tough break. Um, you know, a guy who we brought in to, to bolster the back end of that defense. But, you know, it really just hasn't been what you thought it was going to be. And, and really at this point, you know, besides Trevor, James Robinson, and, and that's really about it. A lot of these guys are going to be at risk of losing their jobs come next year. I mean, at any time you can sign somebody or, or get a young guy who breaks out and shows something and, and you might be shuffled down the depth chart. So he's going to have to come back strong. I wish him all the, all the best. And I hope he does. Yeah. He's a fun guy to interview. He's fun in his press conferences, fun on the field, but just didn't make enough plays this year for the Jaguars. And in Los Angeles with the Chargers, he really was more of a guy that would come in when there was injuries or situational role player at safety, uh, play some nickel. But they came in, Urban Meyer expected him to be a legitimate starter. It didn't really transpire that way this year for him. Uh, so 2022 will be a massive year for Rayshon Jenkins and his career and for his future with the Jaguars. Carlos Hyde everybody's favorite running back in Duval. He's out for the year. He's been on the concussion protocol for a couple weeks. I guess they just decided it wasn't getting better, and uh, they're going to go ahead and and let him sit out the rest of the season. I, I really don't know what to say. Normally, concussion protocol isn't a month-long thing, so 
I haven't seen any more information about that. Kind of curious. Certainly, people aren't going to be too disappointed not to see him carrying the ball, but you hope for his own well-being that this isn't turning into a long-term issue. Yeah, no, I hope to him or hope for him that that he's okay. And like you said, that that it's not something long term or something serious. You know, anytime you're talking about concussions in the brain, that can get scary. But furthermore, uh, for Carlos Hyde, I hope uh, this ends his second tenure in Jacksonville, because for him, unfortunately, he's just cursed here. He goes everywhere else and is somewhat productive. He's had his best years everywhere else except for Jacksonville. He just can't get rolling here. So I hope he can pick up his career and keep things rolling for as long as he wants to play and hope everything's all right up there with his noggin. Yeah, he's 31 years old now, and the Jaguars did sign him to a two-year deal, but there is an out after year one. So you're you're absolutely right. That could be the end of his time with the Jaguars. And uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. At the very least, he was effective at his other stops. Not in Jacksonville for whatever reason. Uh, make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. We can get into a little general talk here, talk about the Texans game a little bit, and just what's going on with the team as a whole. Everyone knows by now Jaguars lost to the Texans. It was it was a close game until the very end, of course. Uh, looking at what Trevor did. It wasn't his best outing. I would certainly say that. he, By my count, he had five off-target throws, a couple of which wouldn't have been completed anyways just because there was no separation by the receivers. And the receivers also had five drops, all of which came from two minutes left in the third quarter and on. So you're looking at four drops in the fourth quarter as Trevor Lawrence is trying to guide these guys back and get in the game, and they're just literally dropping the ball for him. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, you know, you you start the game with a three and out, and then illegal hands of the face moves the Texans in, you know, with two to a first down, and that yeah, another one where the Jaguars should have gotten off the field on the first drive. A boneheaded penalty lets the opponent continue that drive and go score points. Right, and and we've been talking about this all year, and it kind of seems like it all just kind of went downhill from there, at least defensively the Texans like I said you know they, they came out it didn't look great we got a good stop and then we kind of gave them a new life and and they kept rolling from there um across the board things were happening out there that you know you just didn't expect I mean Shaq Griffin could not cover anybody uh on Sunday bizarre um, it was and and you know the the throwback the throwback touchdown to, to Brandon Cooks I don't know how you didn't see that coming I mean, just the he just peaked for flow. just a half second, and and a guy like Cooks with that kind of speed, you you peak for one second, you give him one, you know, just a little bit of space, and he's going to turn it into some big separation. And I mean, I saw it from from the stands. I mean, it, you could see what was happening, everything flowing away. Davis Mills wasn't, you know, in a full boot. You know, he kind of had a little slow throwback, and, and it was wide open. And uh, Shaq Griffin got beat again on a corner out down man to man going the same way into the end zone later in the game. I think it was in the third quarter. So defensively, you just didn't really help yourself at all between the penalties, um, you know, and, and just the broken coverages. Uh, and, and for Trevor, you know, like you mentioned, I think the offense started out really good. The offense started out smooth. 
They were making great plays. Trevor was making some good throws. They were moving the ball. And then it kind of seems like the Texans made adjustments and the Jaguars just didn't. And after the yeah, second half. I think half, their adjustment was called Mother Nature. <laughs> well, that, I'm sure that has something to do with it as well. But but even then, you know, yeah, Trevor, it was cold. It was rainy. I, I get that. But, you know, the Texans just came out and, and it didn't affect them. They kept playing. And, and the Jaguars kind of folded over a little bit. And Trevor made some very some very bad throws he did on Sunday. I mean, I, I look at it, and, and there's not a lot that I can say there to defend him. I mean, the receivers didn't help him any. Um, you know, they started out catching the ball really well. Visca was making some great plays early, breaking tackles, doing some of the things that we saw from him last year. Um, but then, you know, you mentioned the drops. Um, there was a play, uh, Trevor overthrew Laquan Treadwell coming across the field. But if Treadwell keeps running that route at that angle, that ball is right in his hands. He started to slow up a little bit and he had a jump for the ball. If he keeps running that ball with the same, or the, I'm sorry, running that route with the same trajectory, Trevor was leading him down the field. So when you couple things like that and then you tack on, you know, the five bad throws here and there, you know, it, it just doubles down and it makes, you know, your hole a lot deeper. It started getting wet, balls were off target, but I mean, again, still hitting guys in the chest and, and they just couldn't catch the ball. So at the end of the day, it's just the same old, same old, but we've got to start putting consistent drives together, drive after drive, keep moving the ball. And just from my standpoint, like I mentioned, just didn't seem like we made any adjustments. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I don't think the Texans had like this crazy good game plan either. Really the difference in the game is Brandon Cook's burning guys a couple times. And a, and a special teams blunder. I mean, you yes. can't you can't let that happen. I, he broke like four yeah. tackles on, on that return, and just it's ugly. It's special teams and, and it's defensive penalties all year that have been giving the Jaguars struggles, and the penalties on special teams. So yeah, and that wasn't the only poor coverage they no? had on the day. There was some punt coverage issues. They had another return that was a nice return, got past the thirty yard line. So Nick Sorensen. Uh, not doing great there as a special teams coordinator. That's for sure. Especially when you brought guys in urban Meyer did specifically for special teams and you're still not getting the job done on kick coverage and punt coverage. It's pretty ugly. I mean, and, and it's just, it's that extra phase of the game that you just can't let it beat you. You know, special teams is, is not basic. I don't want to say that at all, but special teams, it's very clear. You Go ahead and if you can win us the game, that'd be great. But the only thing special teams can do is you can't lose the game. And when you give up returns like that, you give them yardage, you give them free points, that puts your team in a hole. And it's just very frustrating to see. Yeah, Logan Cook did struggle on the kickoffs too. I don't think that helped um, the coverage units on the kickoffs, certainly. And he, I think he kicked one out of bounds as well. So, I, don't, I don't recall seeing that, but I know the one that was returned was definitely from, from Matt Wright, um, if I'm not mistaken, and it was pretty short, short and low. Uh, I think they brought Cook back in the very next kick uh, to boot it out of the end zone, but yeah, him too. You know, they, they were putting things short towards the goal line, especially you know when it gets cold, it gets rainy, the balls tend to harden up a little bit, and it's not as easy uh, you know, to get them up in the air and loft them down the field, but these are things that you have to account for on special teams. you got to be sure tacklers. You cannot let guys break through holes and break four or five tackles, especially in a pile like that. I mean, we had guys falling over guys, you know, break, breaking him out like that. It just it can't happen. It looks like the bad news bears. Yeah. Getting back to Trevor just for a second. I do think Walker Littles um, 
you know, when he came into the game for Cam Robinson, who suffered a, a neck injury, neck strain, whatever you want to call it, Walker Little really struggled in pass pro, especially on the true pass sets. Uh, I, I went back and, and rewatched just Walker Little's reps, and I think it was all in the second half after Cam Robinson went out. He was getting abused. He was late with his hands. He got beat with stabs, with bull rushes, with speed around the edge. It, it was really ugly. And you look at the pressures that he allowed from that game. That does not even tell the story of how bad it was. Because on some of them, we know Trevor does really well maneuvering the pocket and feeling pressure. Uh, the guy didn't necessarily... The- pass rusher that little was blocking didn't necessarily get pressure but he made trevor move and made trevor get off target and it was really ugly for walker little i don't want to bury this kid at left tackle or right tackle he is a rookie we saw tyson campbell at corner who we will talk about in a little bit we saw him struggle really poorly early on and this is a guy walker little who hasn't played since 2019 i don't want to bury him i don't want to end his career I don't want to say he can't be a good football player, but this was horrific, and it was not against a Pro Bowl caliber edge rusher. So I'm not sure what else to say. Uh, There's really nothing else to say here. I mean, they've got to figure out what he has, um, and if he's not showing you anything, stop putting him in the game. I mean, obviously in this situation, yes, there was an injury, but for Walker Little, I mean, he's kind of just been thrown around here and there, tossed around. We need to either need to get him reps so he can get up to speed and, and is consistently getting playing time, or we need to figure out if we're going to, you know, try to you know, develop him a little bit more, get him back into shape. He didn't play football last year, all this factors in, but for him, you know, to kind of have, you know, the, the, the rug put off from under him here and there um, throughout the season, not getting the benefit of getting consistent playing time. I think that that hurts a guy. Um, you know, you can't really get up to speed. You can't really get into to game. Um, I don't want to say preparedness, but I mean, obviously the game has a different speed than practice. And this is, you know, a different speed than college. Um, we've talked about it before, how he likes to keep his hands low. He's lay with his hands. And that gets him into trouble. The more that he doesn't get playing time, I think the worse it's going to get, the worse it's going to be. I was a very big proponent on this um, back before the draft. We talked about things with, you know, Jamar Chase, obviously he's had a great year, but guys who did not play last year for whatever reason, whether it be injury, COVID, it's just too hard to come right back and be in peak, you know, playing condition to be up to speed with the game, especially when you're making that jump from college to the NFL. And I think we're seeing it right yeah, here. He didn't even play the year before that. So right. even tougher. So, and, I, and I think, that, I think that's what we're seeing personally, especially, you know, for a lineman, for a tackle, when you're on the outside, you don't have the benefit of having, you know, two big mammoths next to you on either side of you, kind of keeping your guy in a cage, you're on the outside. And if you don't have that speed, if you're not up to speed, you're going to get beat in the NFL time and time again. So I think all of this kind of plays a factor, but it's really poor timing when you consider that we've got to make a pretty huge decision, you know, on our roster when it comes to tackles this off season. Yeah. And, um, looks like Cam Robinson was full in practice today. So unless something comes out of nowhere, they just make a decision on that. It doesn't look like Walker 
is going to be in the lineup moving in to week 16, which it's unfortunate for him coming off such a poor performance. The best thing you can do is just get back out there and play better. I will say Jacob Martin is the one who is doing most of the damage to little. He's a guy that I'm going to be honest. I didn't know a lot about him, but he's been producing a good amount of, uh, uh, of pass rush pressure over the last back half of this season so far. And, he had a full arsenal of moves and he was really putting them to work on Walker little, but in the reps where little wasn't blocking Martin, who was number 54. If you go back and look, he didn't look nearly as bad. I think Martin is just a really good athlete at the position. He's playing some pretty good football right now. And Walker little was not ready for it, but he looked better against guys that were a little bit thicker, maybe less athletic. It's something to monitor moving forward. But again, Jacob Martin, quality pass rusher right now in the NFL, but he is not anywhere close to the level that you're going to face most weeks. Yeah, that's what's concerning. I haven't seen a lot of tape on Jacob Martin, to be honest with you. Um, You could have asked me who he was going up against all game, and I couldn't have told you that it was Jacob Martin. I didn't know who he was. I had to look (laughs) him up. Like I'm like, 54 is absolutely annihilating Walker Little play in and play out. Yeah, and so just think about what's going to happen when he does face a premier pass rusher. You know, and, and you talk about him being able to handle some of the bigger, slower guys. I mean, I've said it and I'll say it again. Put this man at guard. Just try him on the interior. You know, if he can handle some of these bigger, slower guys, he'll probably be more successful on the inside. You know, I know that it's well, not I don't know that if he easy. can handle them in a telephone booth, right? Well... Handle them in space is different than handling them inside. But you know, it's more about your anchor. If you if you walk a little six seven, three hundred something. I mean, if you can get that big body down enough and anchor your base, you know, guys aren't going to be able to just push you back. And, and that's what you're looking at in the telephone booth. It goes from you know being able to win on the outside with speed, footwork, and hands to being able to move inside and work with strength. You know, these guys don't have as much space as they would on the edge. They've got to create that space. And if you're a strong guy who can bolster your base inside, you might be more, might be more successful. Who knows? It just obviously looks like right now he's not fit or set to be, you know, a premier tackle on the outside. Yeah. Nothing looked good from him. Really. I I will say he wasn't in there for a ton of run snaps, but that didn't look bad. So I'll give him a little credit there, but the pass protection, which is obviously more important was just not there this game. Hopefully he can rebound if he gets back in to the lineup before the end of the season. But on a positive note, Tyson Campbell, number one graded cornerback in football in week 15 per PFF. You don't need PFF to tell you he played a good game. He got uh, obviously a huge interception in the second half, set the Jaguars up with fantastic field position on that. He was playing a little zone. He read the quarterback's eyes. He beat the tight end of the ball, caught it, was ready to go. He just couldn't quite keep his balance and run it back. Um, but that was a great play on the ball. One of his other PBUs was deep down the field. He had Brandon Cooks locked up, and if he would have just flipped that head a little quicker, the ball wouldn't have bounced off of his hands. Instead, he probably would have caught it. And, and he did well in run support as he normally does and in pursuit. Huge performance from Tyson Campbell and just another notch in the cap for a guy that really struggled to start the season. He's definitely improving. 
Tyson Campbell is improving. We see it week to week, and, and that's great for him, and I give him all the kudos. However, Tyson Campbell is, is not, you know, primarily lined up, uh, you know, on, on the opponent's best receiver. And I think a lot of that has to do, or a lot of his success, you know, therefore, with the numbers at least. Obviously, he had that great pass breakup on Brandon Cooks. He had the interception, a great play on the ball. I'm not saying that he can't do it. He is doing it, but he hasn't really been pressured yet or challenged yet to have to do it consistently against an opponent's best receiver. Yeah, so, Jack Griffin's been responsible for the opposing best receivers, yep, right? And he's getting for the burnt. most part this year. And he's getting burnt. But that's neither here nor there. Not but again, I don't want to take anything away from Tyson Campbell because that's not his his call. Right now he's playing great football against whoever he's lined up against. It may be the number one here and there, um, you know, based off the way they align and scheme. And I, I don't see Shaq Griffin really following guys right now. Um, so, you know, again, certainly wasn't following Brandon cooks on that yeah. touchdown. And he should have been, that's, <laughs> that's, that's even worse. He should have been following him on that one, <laughs> not in alignment, but just following him because he was covering him. I mean, geez, yeah. geez, but I mean, yeah. So, so I, I love it. I, I love the progression. I love, what he's been doing the last couple of weeks, but you got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because he's not quite, you know, that shut down elite guy yet, but he's showing you and he's showing me who was a big, I don't want to say doubter, but a big proponent of saying, I need to see more. He's showing me what I was asking to see. He's, he's making plays on the ball. He's starting to get better with his ball skills. And like you said, as soon as he starts to pick up on, you know, receiver cues, he'll get that head around. And if he does, he'll make those plays. Look, both of us saw, that he could not flip his head and locate the ball. And we both saw it early in the season. We both saw it at Georgia. So to be critical of that is not, in my opinion, something we missed on. We said he had to improve in that area, and he did. And the fact that he's improving just goes to show you you can't just come out and judge a rookie too early. You can't bury them. You got to give them time to develop. And that's exactly what the Jaguars have done with Tyson Campbell. And, and it's rewarding them right now. So, so that's an amazing development, obviously. Uh, I just can't, from, from the feeling that we felt about Tyson Campbell, let's say three months ago to where we are now, it's night and day. And he does have to keep doing it, keep improving, keep proving that he can lock down number one receivers, but. Yeah, it's his all, progress has been awesome. Everywhere he lacks right now is technical. He's a physical specimen, right? He's like, what, 6'2", 6'1". He's taller. He's lengthy. He's fast as all get out. He just needs those technical tweaks here and there. And crazy enough, I feel like that's a little bit easier for him to start picking up on. So I think, he, I th- I think he's taking the turn. I think he's got a great uh, a great future ahead of him. He, he's, he's doing all those things. Like I said, just those cues. When is a receiver going to, what's his tell? When does the receiver tell me that he's looking for the ball? Things like that. He can run with anybody. He can run with anybody, absolutely. And I think that he can get up there with anybody. So it's going to be fun to see. Yeah, and another crazy thing about player development and young guys developing, you could take a guy like Tyson Campbell, who, physical freak, but struggles with, the technical parts of the game struggles with a certain aspect of the game. And some of those guys, they never are able to improve on that. But Tyson Campbell is one of the ones that is improving, but that just makes it so difficult to evaluate young guys because you see the potential. You saw it with Tyson Campbell. 
some guys, it's always just potential, but Campbell is turning that potential into actual production. And it's been fun to watch over the last few weeks. Another guy that you want to see take his potential and turn it into a quality starter is Andre Sisco. And he's getting a shot now to get a lot more reps on the defensive side of the ball with Rayshon Jenkins out for the rest of the season. Of course, Daryl Bevel isn't just turning it over to Andre Sisco wholly. He's making Andre Sisco compete with Daniel Thomas. They're splitting reps. They're subbing in and out on every series right now. And there are on the field some Daryl Bevel alluded to in dime sets. But for the most part, Sisco and Thomas are rotating in and out. Sisco is more of a natural free safety, whereas Thomas is a strong safety. So I get why they're giving Thomas that shot to, to prove he can do that too. Because uh, you ideally want Cisco at free safety playing for Andrew Wingard. But hey, Wingard's coming off a decent game. I can't blame him uh, for anything that happened in this one. Of course, we've gone after Wingard all year. He he does not show up in the big, big moments. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, Andre Cisco and Daniel Thomas are both getting a shot to show that they belong in a starting lineup. Finally. Finally. It sucks that it came to be this way. Because Rayshon Jenkins broke his ankle. However, we're finally going to see what Andre Sisco can do. We've been calling for it all year. Begging them to give this man some playing time. He's got his chance now. Go make it happen. Go show us everything you showed us in college. Go be that ball hawk. Like you mentioned, his ball skills are fantastic. At least from what we've seen. Now you got to see it in the NFL. But a more natural free safety. Um, but I think... As the league, you know, continues to evolve, um, the the distinction between strong safety and free safety, you know, kind of starts to lessen a little bit. Um, you know, safeties are kind of really just safeties now when they play the true back end of the defense. Teams are starting it to go to nickel, on the scheme too, right? right? Right, Teams are starting to go to that nickel package a little bit more. That extra DB minus that linebacker and. When they use that and they kind of go, you know, to those to those run stopping formations or they're in run stopping situations, that's where you kind of see these, you know, big, um, you know, I like to call them rovers. You know, the guys who who come on down, come down to the line, and really play that run well. So, really, at this point, it, it could be either of those guys. Um, Daniel Thomas has shown us some good stuff as well. They're going to continue to play him because of his prowess at the line of scrimmage. I think he's a better tackler. Um, he's shown that at times. We haven't seen much from Andre Cisco, so I'm obviously just speaking out of out of ignorance here. But now is your chance. Now's the time. Show us what you can do. Well, he did get a third down tackle to prevent a first down in that game, so that was pretty much the only time he was really tested. Uh, but you know, he wasn't a glaring hole for the defense, so that's an encouraging start at the very least. Um, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much for the support. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're, we're really thankful that you guys listen to us and, and value our opinion and interact with us on socials. So uh, with that said, let's get into a little bit of draft talk here. I dropped my first four-round Jaguars mock of the year earlier today, and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, what did you think about the mock, Jeremy? I'll tell you what, 
Um, you're obviously a lot more into the, into the draft stuff than I am, at least this early on. So when we kind of get into the you know third, fourth, later rounds, I'm not quite caught up there yet. Uh, I but, think we all know the main talking point here, though, right? Correct. But when we get up into the top here, um, you know, obviously we got a lot more uh, interest in some of these top tier guys. And obviously, I saw that uh, you went ahead and traded number one to the Giants for I believe five and six, um, and. and you know, there's been a lot of talk now that the Jaguars have linked up. I'm sorry, locked up number one. What are they going to do? You know, are we going to go it's not after? Locked up. It's not locked up, technically speaking. <laughs> but if I had to put money on it, I, I, I'd, I'd probably say that they're going to be in the first spot. I mean, let's just be honest. If not, that's okay. okay but we're I talking about you. what we've got right here, right now. So, you know, the debate on whether to move or not. I'm always a big proponent on moving if you're not looking for that quarterback. If there's not a quarterback in that draft that you know you are in dire need of, we obviously have Trevor now. We don't need that. Now you look at everything else. Is there a prospect that is just absolutely head and shoulders over everybody and anyone in the draft? And sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. I don't think this is one of those years yet. The Jaguars need help everywhere. Um, you know, we were talking about uh, these edge guys, Hutchinson and Thibodeau, for so long. But again, are they going to be just head and shoulders better than everyone else through one through five? We've talked about the five top prospects, right? We know who we think those are in our eyes. Those guys are, are head and shoulders about everybody else. So for me, it's if I can get two of those guys instead of one of those guys, I'm totally cool with moving back. Now, do I think the Giants would give up five and six for number one? I'm not sure. Do I really think? Yeah, and that was just what the the draft network, their mock draft machine. That's what I run it on, and they they proposed that trade. Right. And- I didn't come to the Giants with it. I didn't just kind of try to work the system there. It was a trade I was offered, and I I quickly accepted it. Absolutely, as would I. Uh, when it comes down to it, I, I do like that. Looking at your mock draft, I would absolutely have done the same thing. It sets us up, uh, you know, to to get two of these game changing guys, at least in our eyes, that we think are up there at the top of the draft. Um, you took Evan Neal and you took Jamison Williams. I mean, we get a huge mauling offensive lineman we get a hopefully uh, number one uh, for trevor or at least a super super high ceiling number two if we can go ahead and get a kick-ass number one in free agency you know all of Devonte adams maybe a guy can dream right but that would be a huge upgrade to the receiving core for trevor give him weapons to immediately help his development in year two which really at this point is going to be like year one b for him um, he needs some stability and, and, you know, we, I hope we get that with our head coach, but not the topic. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I, I love, I love that idea. Um, I think at some point when we get closer to draft time, there's going to be some narrative. There always is. Somebody is going to be who everyone is trying to claw at, at number one. So what teams are going to be willing to give up the capital and, and who is it going to be for? And, if you can weigh that, is this capital that I'm going to get for this pick better than this guy that everyone's clamoring for? Then I would absolutely say go for it. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I love Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau. I think they're both going to be very, very good NFL edge rushers. They have a little bit of different styles. That's okay. Thibodeau's more of the 
freak athlete where Hutchinson is more about power, but he's also very athletic. And whereas Thibodeau is more about the athleticism, he also has very good power. So I like both of those guys a lot. Uh, our guy T wig shop talk shop talking wig on Twitter. He does the locked on Jaguars podcast. He brought up a great point. Would either of the top two edge rushers, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, would either of those guys line up against Evan Neal and just give him the business? That Evan Neal's the left tackle from Alabama that I took at number five overall. I'm leaning towards the answer being no. I think Neal is that good when you just think about breaking those guys down, going up mano a mano. And the crazy thing is, if Michigan beats Georgia and Alabama beats Cincinnati, Hutchinson and Neal are going to face off in the college football playoff national championship game. And that could be one of the biggest matchups to determine draft stock, draft position, that I can remember in quite some time. I think the closest thing you'd probably have to that would have been Clemson versus Ohio State. Uh, what two years ago now? Trevor versus Justin Fields. Obviously, a little bit Again, different. That's not a one to one, right? Obviously, yeah. yeah. Obviously, a little bit different as they're not going head to head. But but you're right. I mean, I, I cannot remember, at least in my limited lifetime, when you compare to some of the other people out there who have been following this team and in, in football for a long time, the last time we had a matchup like that, like you mentioned, just two top five talents going at it on the biggest stage in college football. I mean, it would be. It'd be poetic. It, it would write the story. Um, but yeah, and what you mentioned in regards to would either one of those guys give Evan Neal the business consistently? Would they set themselves apart from the rest? Not sure. We'd have to see. And, and unfortunately, we might not get to see them both, but we might get to see one. And that kind of goes into the thought process of, do I move out of the number one spot? I mean, if Evan Neal is going to be this just dominant and i mean dominant hall of fame type of caliber offensive lineman then it's a no-brainer right but if he's not and you can get you know some of these guys a diamond dozen i mean look at look at uh, uh minerts uh from the denver broncos a fifth round draft pick something like that out of out of i don't even know what college He's playing out of his mind. Wisconsin so, Whitewater. Wisconsin Whitewater. Yes, there you go. Oh, uh, yeah. There he's you go. Belly. He's got the beard. He's got it all going on. I love that. I mean, I just, I personally think linemen can be found anywhere if you find the right ones. Obviously. And of course, that is a center, not a, not a left tackle. Right. But you're right. You can absolutely find linemen. You just got to know what you're looking for and bet on them being able to develop and grow into the position. But, uh, it, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. We we can't forget about guys like Kyle Hamilton or or Stingley either. I mean, are these guys is, is Stingley is there Stingley going to be a shut down one on one just locking up one side of the field corner? I mean, if he's healthy, I think so. And and that it, it, that's why it's so difficult to to kind of decide. I don't think he's going to be the number one overall pick. Um, it's just obviously I don't, I can't I don't think a corner ever has been, but. You have so many options here. You have so many options here. And who is going to separate themselves from the rest of the pack? And and what is that gap going to be? And the other thing that is critical for me when you look at drafts. Okay, if you take your edge rusher at number one overall, then who are you pairing that with later? Right now, 
you're pairing Evan Neal with Jamison Williams, your first two picks at five and six overall. If you could land that, I think that's easily more valuable than one of the edge rushers just based on the fact that these two guys are going to help Trevor Lawrence. I know you de- you can't forget about your defense. I absolutely – you got to work that defense and improve on the defensive side of the ball, but getting Trevor some help is obviously priority number one for these Jaguars. And when you look at what we did, because we were able to trade back and get some extra draft capital, we actually got the number 70 pick overall too, a third rounder, high third rounder. I was able to trade, and again, this was a trade that was proposed to me by the computer. I was able to trade 33, 105, and a 2023 third rounder to get back up to 22 to take Jermaine Johnson from FSU. And this is another aspect of this edge class. Yes, I do think Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau are better than the rest of the guys. I think they're fantastic. But this is a very deep edge class. Jermaine Johnson, I think, is a guy, if you were looking at a class that didn't have Hutchinson and Thibodeau, could be sneaking into the top 10, and he might anyways. He is 6'5", 265 pounds. The guy ran a 4'5 in high school, reportedly. Athleticism out the wazoo, extremely powerful, got a bull rush. He's got a full arsenal of pass rush moves. He's got his hands going, constantly trying to work up field, work past the defender. Uh, He's high motor, high effort, chases down plays all the time. And he's also setting the edge against the run and doing really well in that regard. So my point is, yeah, you could take Jermaine or you could take Hutchinson or Thibodeau at one. But what looks better? getting Evan Neal, Jamison Williams, and Jermaine Johnson? Or just getting one first-round pick in Hutchinson or Thibodeau? Yeah, I, I always, always would, would say two first-round picks, especially when they're in the top 10. Two first-round picks in the top 10 when you have a franchise quarterback, I, I think is, is light years more valuable to you than one pick, than the number one overall pick. Again, unless Hutchinson or Thibodeau are guaranteed Hall of Fame pass rushers, which we won't know. Nobody will know ahead of time. I think you go and, and you do everything you can to give Trevor the help that he needs. Everything we do this offseason needs to be about Trevor. We've said it time and time again, from free agency to the draft, to the personnel, to the coaching, to the GM, to everything and anything that this organization needs to do and will do needs to be for Trevor. So two offensive guys, Hell, looks good to me. Oh, uh, yeah. By the way, in this little simulation, I had signed a couple interior linemen to shore that up because, of course, you've got Can and Norwell in contract years. Ben Barch isn't exactly selling you on the fact that he should be a starter next year. So we did that, and then we also are going to be signing like a Godwin or a Gallup or Devontae Adams in, in this simulation just to clear up what happens in free agency prior to all this. Yeah. And I, I might, for me, the nail in the coffin on this discussion for me is the way this defense has played this year. Has it been perfect? No. Have they been a stellar shutout, you know, slobber knocker defense? No, but that's not what the NFL is anymore. You don't have to have a, you know, complete shutdown, crazy defense. Obviously it helps, but we've seen the chiefs, 
you know, win games, win Super Bowls with a subpar defense and just a very efficient, explosive offense. Ooh. I think this fighting defense, words. huh? That fighting words, man. Chiefs, their defense was lights out in the playoffs when they won the Super Bowl. Look, they step up, and but that it was known that team was you. not that team was not anywhere elite when it comes to defense. This team, this defense we have right here, this Jaguars defense, they held the Bills to six points. They can play elite. They can get hot. You can go into playoff time, and you know the the atmosphere is different, the feelings different. You get on a run, you get hot. I get that. The Jaguars, I don't see why we couldn't do that as well. They have played games. This defense has played games this year, where they have kept this team in it. And if it wasn't for offensive incompetency, the Jaguars maybe have five, six, seven more wins. Go ahead and, and now upgrade that offense, like. I'm talking huge upgrades. Give Trevor a great number one, a real number one. Sure up the offensive line. Put some weapons around him. Do everything you can to make this a competent, explosive, and efficient offense. And I guarantee you the defense will keep you in more games than not. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. it. And, and you can keep improving that defense. It's not set in stone. Keep working to improve it a little bit. Uh, but the offense, getting getting something for Trevor to work with is absolutely mission number one um, for the Jaguars. And this was a four-round mock, so we went on and we got an interior defensive lineman from Georgia, Devontae Wyatt. He's 315 pounds at 6'3", so obviously that's a pretty squatty interior lineman. He's not super tall. But he moves incredibly well, uh, so he's a guy that would be really interesting. And in terms of, we do like some of the, what's happening on defense. I don't think there's been nearly enough consistent interior pressure. That's what Devonte Wyatt could give you as a three tech, uh, two eye type of guy, even one tech. And then Trey McBride, he's a tight end out of Colorado State. We went and got. I think he is the most complete tight end in this class, and you should go check him out because I know you'll enjoy watching his game. He can line up backfield as a fullback, in line, in the slot. He's not like a crazy athlete at the tight end position, but he is a good athlete. He has the basketball background, good hands, good route runner, good blocker. Um, I, I really like him a lot, and if they could land him in the third round, I think that could give you that complete tight end that the Jaguars have really lacked their whole franchise. And then right after that, we had Chad Muma, the uh, Wyoming senior linebacker who played last night, racked up 13 tackles in his final collegiate game. He's, he's a guy that I think would just be a, a middle linebacker that he communicates all the plays already. He's 6'3", 242, so bigger mold type of guy. Think if Damian Wilson is out after this year, he could be a potential starter uh, pretty quickly in the NFL. Yeah, the only thing that I would not agree with would be the the defensive lineman there. Uh, All right, in, in the what the second round, I think he said. Um, yep. The only reason why I think our defensive line is deep. I think we have great depth along the defensive line, versatile deep, guys. But there's not enough elite guys at the top. But is that going to give you an elite? guy it's not well i encourage you to watch Devonte Wyatt. definitely will definitely will um I, I will definitely get into some of that tape but i would like to see a tight end there weidermeyer okay just just declared for the draft i think he's the most explosive playmaking tight end in this draft right now and it gives watch you Trey McBride another weapon i will i will I, I i do enjoy the tight end tape so i'll get into that one as well but again i just think 
you know, drafting into a position, in, in my opinion, that's a strength on this team um, would kind of set us back when I think you go get another, uh, you know, obviously not a top tier guy because he's not a, you know, a first round talent, but another uh, top of the class guy for his position. That's an offensive weapon for Trevor. And just again, defensively, I mean, Malcolm Brown can play inside. You still got Devon Hamilton who's been playing well. We haven't seen a lot of J2 Fele, and I know he can play inside as well too. He's got that squatty body, um, you know, that that type of nose guard that you're looking for in this 3-4 defense. So Yeah, they could do some similar things. You're right about that, but where is Tufele? Yeah, I mean, he's been hurt. You're right, same thing. I mean, we haven't seen anything from him. We don't know. But, you know, our, it just kind of goes, would, would I be more inclined to give a healthy two fail a chance in year two or, you know, bend it on a rookie. Yeah. And I will say this too, for me in that position, it wasn't about I'm targeting an interior defensive lineman. It was about Devonte Wyatt being there at that spot. BPA. Yeah, yeah. It was just too good for me to pass up. So I'll have to look into that as well. I haven't seen a lot of his tape. I'll admit that, um, you know, obviously. And then there's another big guy down there at Georgia that kind of overshadows him. Um, so haven't heard that name a lot either. But, again, not opposed to it. Just think I would go in a little bit of a different direction there. Um, so yeah, that's completely fair. Offensive lineman. I think interior defensive lineman, you can, if you find the right guy with the right size and the right technique, you can probably plug him in almost anywhere. Yeah. I just think – I. Personally, I think Devontae Wyatt should be closer to the first round than 45 overall. So, But yeah, I, just, I think that was another fun exercise just to see different possibilities of what could happen here, what the Jaguars could do to really improve their station and life. Now, the Jaguars do have a game this weekend against the New York Jets. Uh, if the Jags lose this one, which, let's be, be honest, is likely, they're going to pretty much lock up that number one pick because they play the Colts and the Patriots to end the season. So if this doesn't end up being a W, the Jaguars are probably locking up that number one pick. Now the Jets are favored by two and a half, but their head coach, Robert Sala, just tested positive for COVID-19. They've got 14 players on the COVID-19 list now. Michael Carter... He's a, a, a young cornerback for them, rookie cornerback. Elijah Moore, who's probably their most talented receiver. Elijah Vera Tucker, another rookie who is incredibly talented, a, an important guy for them, uh, and a whole list of other players that, that are not necessarily impact guys, but contributors. So if the Jets don't get that cleaned up, I don't know how they're even going to field a team. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it's crazy. Um, the COVID is just running rampant again to the NFL. You said the Jaguars have a game against the Jets. The Jaguars have a game against what's left of the Jets, and who knows? It could be more. I mean, I'm just sitting here seeing this right now as well, that uh, Brandon Cooks was put on the COVID list today. So, obviously, he played here on Sunday. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of tracing uh, that comes back to the Jaguars as well because of that. So, we don't even know what's going to go on with us. I mean, ETN on the COVID list today. We talked about it earlier. I know they said there was minimal to no close contact. Kind of hard to believe still, you know, being that he's here. So, you don't really know what's going on. You don't know what to prepare for. But at this time, the Jets are missing some key guys. Do I think that puts the Jaguars in a better 
you know, place obviously to win. Yes, absolutely. I do. But my confidence still lacks in this team. Um, you know, first week after urban's gone, the offense looked a little bit competent to start and we kind of fell right back into the same hole. So you've got a tough stretch, like you mentioned coming up with, you know, going to New York, um, then going back to new England, um, and then playing Indy at home to wrap it up. So, I mean, this is it. If, if the Jaguars want to, you know, put one more win under their belt this season, you know, bearing anything else crazy happening in the weeks to come. I think they want to do it. Something about the Colts at the end of the year, they're competing for a playoff spot. That's a little scary there for the Colts, I'm sure. Play spoiler. Jaguars do a really good job playing the Colts in Jacksonville. That was their lone win last season, and they've beaten them quite a bit in Jacks over the years. So that's something to keep an eye on, too. But um, you mentioned a couple things. Offense. Daryl Bevel. Interim head coach, no longer calling the plays. He handed that over to Brian Schottenheimer. So we're going to see a little bit of a different flavor this week on the offensive side of the ball. Who knows if it will have a positive or negative impact. Be hard for it to be negative. Although I thought the offensive play calling, for the most part, made sense last week. I think there was one run on third down that I really just didn't understand. And Bevel clarified that he was thinking they were in four down territory, but then he just decided after the run that he wanted to kick the field goal. It's like, all right, you need to be a little more convicted here, buddy. But maybe that's why he's not calling the plays anymore. Brian Schottenheimer is. I don't know what to expect. That kind of goes into game management, you know, and now that you are the head coach, you are the game manager. You have to know ahead of time going into your situations when you move those chains, no matter where you are in the field, okay, this is fourth down. This is four down territory. This is three down territory. You have to know that before third down, before the play. And he is said over. he did, but then he just changed his mind. Yeah, it's like and I, you got to go with your gut, man. You got to go with your gut on that. But um, when it comes to changing the play caller, obviously the scheme's the same. Um, you know, the personnel is is mostly going to be the same. They might make some. They might make some small tweaks here and there, but what what I'm really interested to see, and something that I haven't really seen from Bevel all year that I've that I've harped on, is going to be the sequence of play calling. How do you set yourself up, you know, with different looks? Uh, you know, to we did the defense see it. With with there was at least one time this week mm-hmm. that I was really impressed. I was like waiting on that all year. The LaVisca Chenault fake screen, you yep. know, they, they get the defense thinking that it's going to be the screen to LaVisca Chenault because they've done it a million times throughout the year. And then they hit O'Shaughnessy up the sideline just past there. I was very relieved to see that. Yeah, it sucks that it took it 15 weeks to, to happen, though. I mean, but that's something that you have to, as, as a play caller, especially as a play caller, doesn't doesn't not as a coordinator, you know, people get that confused. You don't have to be the coordinator and be the play caller. But right. as as the play caller, you have to start that stuff early on the season. You've got to start the tendencies so people see it on film, and that's when you start, you know, running your counteractions, you know, your 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 different flows, all that kind of stuff. It's got to start early. So, thankfully enough, they've run that <laughs> all year long. Not necessarily the most successful, but the defense was was off guard there. So. I'm I'm going to be really interested to see what the play calling sequence is for Shoddy. Um, you know, what does he throw in there? What plays do I notice? You know, throughout the game that he set up from other plays earlier in the game, and and that's going to be something that hopefully he brings that Bevel unfortunately just did not bring. One thing I will point out is the receivers, at least in the start of the game on Sunday, the spacing was good. 
The route combos were fantastic. Um, you didn't have a lot of guys bunched up in the same area. Um, and that kind of was a little interesting to me because, you know, Bevel's been the play caller all year. Um, so I, I don't really know what was going on in that building that, that may have changed that to where, okay, now we kind of look a little competent, at least in our routes. It's kind of weird that it took Urban getting fired you know, to, to, to see that. And it may completely have nothing to do with him. Maybe completely independent. They may finally just have, you know, got their crap together and figured it out. But that's something I noticed on Sunday. Yeah. Coincidence? Maybe. Maybe not. One. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> um, speaking of coaching changes, if, uh, if Robert Sala is not able to coach for the Jets this weekend, Ron Middleton, who Jaguars fans should be very familiar with is going to be the head coach. And um, he's a guy that was in Jacksonville for eight seasons. He left after last year with the regime change, but he's the former tight end coach. Uh, he, he spoke to the media today because he he's taking care of the team right now. The team is in his hands. He said he's strictly team. There's no selfish or personal deal in it at all. It's strictly team. He's trying to do whatever he can to help beat the Jaguars on Sunday. And it'll be really fascinating to see how they handle this whole situation. Hopefully, if, if they get a rash more of guys on this list, how do you even play this game? We may not. We may see another rescheduling. We may be playing on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> might be weird, but uh, it just seems like everything is always connected to the Jaguars in some way, shape, or form. But it's always negative, right? Like, you always hear these these crazy cool things. You're like, oh, my God. And sports just kind of works that way. At least, you know, for me, I've always thought sports, they just kind of, you know, not they, but the universe, the sports gods, the football gods, whatever. Stories that, you know, are supposed to turn out special you know, they, they somehow find a way to be special. It's just like the exact opposite for the Jags. All those special stories, all everything is always against the Jags. Oh, check this out. You know, this guy was over here for years and years and years, and boom, this happened. He's the head coach, and then wham, he beats the crap out of his former team. You know, it always has some sort of <laughs> twisted way of coming back and punching us in the gut. So I really yeah, hope and I not. Mean, Sala, the Jaguars are Sala's former team. Too, yeah, right? old linebacker He was here coach. for a while, yeah. and so that's how they have – that's their connection. They both coached together in Jacksonville. Okay. Um, and then looking at this injury report here, because this will, uh, it's looking like it's going to have a major impact. Jets, safety Elijah Riley, concussion did not participate. CJ Mosley, their most important linebacker, back did not participate. Jamison Crowder, calf, did not participate. Sheldon Rankins, knee, did not participate. Then you look at the Jags. LaVisca Chenault, shoulder slash foot, did not participate. Miles Jack, knee, did not participate. That's been a common recurring theme for Miles Jack, so you could probably look at him uh, as somebody who's going to go. And then Norwell, with the back, he didn't participate. Malcolm Brown, with the toe, he didn't participate. So we're going to see how these injuries play out throughout the week, but there's a lot of guys for both teams beyond what's going on on the COVID list that are dealing with injuries. Yeah, it it really it's both teams are in a are in a sticky spot right now. I mean, both teams are in a sticky spot for the Jaguars at least. Like you mentioned, we've seen some of this for the last couple of weeks. You know, throughout the year with with Miles Jack, not too concerned there. Lavisca Chenault, um, you know that that's a little concerning. 
need him to be ready to go, need him to be a playmaker, need him to finally step up and, and be the guy that we all thought it was going to be. But I'm still more concerned about the COVID stuff, man. I, I just have a feeling in my gut that, that the Jaguars are going to be down some players too. I just don't see how I look at everything else that's going on in the league and, and all the other you know breakouts and, and cancellations and just think that the Jaguars are going to be immune to it based on you know the, the inside things we have going on right now with, with guys testing positive. So it's going to be crazy. I mean, truthfully, honestly, now we talk about it, I think this game right now is probably up in the air. It's probably questionable whether or not it's going to be played on Sunday if, if things keep going the way they are. Well, and of course, the built-in joke there is the Jaguars can't catch. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. They can't catch can't catch the football, and they can't catch COVID. So, I mean, I don't know which one says, would you rather have right now. Uh, uh, that's that's too much for my <laughs> tiny brain to think about. But, Jeremy, you got to 9-5 and five on our weekly Jaguars picks here this year. I fell to 8-6. and six. Thought the Jaguars would be able to take care of the Texans after some of the things that happened throughout the week, such as Urban Meyer being fired. Yeah, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, I was just thinking about this a couple of seconds. This is our first podcast since, and we didn't, yes. e- we did not even touch on it. I just because it's been it so feels beaten. like that was weeks ago. Does it not? Uh, yeah. I mean, we've we've gone through a game day Sunday. I mean, obviously, we were both super busy last week. Couldn't get around to do an emergency. Meyer fire pod. Um, but yeah, and also I feel like it's just been everything's come out now. Everything's been talked about even from been every a angle. It had well, give it a couple more hours and we're almost yeah. there, right? <laughs> yeah, twelve thirty tonight. Six a week. Six and a half hours will be there. But yeah, I mean it's it it was, you know, kinda of, kind of a joke, obviously. I was gonna mention it towards the end that I can't believe we didn't even talk about it, but it's been beaten, it's been battered, you know, it's it's gone through the press. Every, we've heard it from everybody over the past week, so I doubt anybody else wants to hear from us anymore about it, but I, I don't think it's over, man. There's going to be more stuff that comes out about this, and we're going to have to talk about it again later. Well, yeah, and he's on his little PR tour right now, and of course they caught, they fired him for cause, and so that's probably going to end up being a huge issue. Uh, but yeah, we don't need to pound it into the table. I will say on my drive home from my brother's graduation Thursday, I was just listening to all the different NFL podcasts I re- regularly listen to and listening to all the different takes on Urban Meyer. It was just fascinating. Uh, and I'm glad we don't have to do it anymore, but I feel like that was a little bit of a cathartic experience for me, just hearing all the Urban Meyer hate and then moving on from it. So, Jeremy, you're 9-5. and five. I fell to 8-6. and six. What's your prediction for Jaguars Jets if they do in fact play? Look, man, I'm going to pick everybody else until the Jaguars give me a reason not to. I'll take the Jets. I don't care who's on the COVID list. Uh, we lost to Davis Mills last week. I mean, Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead were, were pounding the Jaguars into submission. I have no confidence. I, I can't sit here and and confidently I mean, say fair, that I think like, the Jaguars are going to win this, this football game. Davis Mills wasn't amazing, right? Um, he he did make the plays that were there, though. He and there were definitely touchdowns. several of them. Yeah, okay. One was a busted coverage by Shaq Griffin. Another was just an incredible screen where Brandon Cooks took off and every single guy that needed to make a block made a block. 
Fair enough. So, okay. so, but that doesn't give me any confidence to say that Zach Wilson or whoever else might be able I'm to throw that John that. No, yeah. I'm no. just trying to say Davis Mills wasn't great. No, you're right. And and but that that's the point is is that you know guys who aren't great quarterbacks who aren't great can can have great games against this team because we're not very good. So and until they give me a reason not to wallow in my self pity about how bad they are, um, then I'll continue to go ahead and, and just pick everyone else. Because I mean, I think at this point. You know, even if you you go the other way and the Jaguars do catch up, I think we'll both probably be in the same boat for weeks 17 and 18. So I think we might at least tie at the very least. Pretty comfortable with taking the Jets here uh, to keep my lead on you uh, for the well, next yeah, couple weeks. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> if I take the Jets, I pretty much have zero chance to catch up to you. Yeah, you got you got to get a picker upper right now. <laughs> got to get a picker upper. But yeah, no, I, I think the Jets win. Um, you know, I. Elijah Moore obviously is a huge loss if he can't make it back. Same thing with Elijah Vera Tucker, but you know, like I said, there are other guys who can make plays. Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole, we know him well. Um, you know, the young duo of, of running backs that the uh, that the New York Jets have can find their way if Rex Burkhead could find his way. So if we're going to be in New York, I think the Jets are going to be uh, a little fired up for this one. Obviously, the narrative is, is Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson. I know Jets fans are going to be fired up about this one. Wait, how crazy is it that we didn't even mention that until just now? Well, we didn't really get into Jets talk until just now. I know, but that should be like the headlining topic, but it's just so much other stuff going on with these teams. It's, it's, it's honestly getting buried. I mean, I don't think – look, they don't want the attention on Zach Wilson right now either. He's not playing well. Trevor Lawrence isn't playing well. Neither of them are playing well. So it's not like we're we're going in there and, and, and you know, they've got the, the better guy and it looks like, you know, they proved us wrong. But, however, the head-to-head, I mean, that's what counts. And I, I agree with you. This should be – that should be the headline right here. You know, can the Jaguars, if they're going to pick up this win, if they're going to do something right, it needs to be now because if the Jets win and if Zach Wilson has a great day, I mean, we will never – ever hear the end of it it will be insufferable but that's what it's boiled down to that's really at the only attention here yeah that's yeah. that's that's the only attention grabber here at this game it's one versus two bad versus bad actually it's bad versus worse but that's just <laughs> yes. that's that's the only thing i can hope for and pray for this season if you do anything for me jack Horse, if you're gonna lose this game fine just don't let it be zach wilson let him have a terrible game and let Michael Carter or somebody run for like 350 yards and win. Just don't let Zach Wilson carve you up and, and then subject us to this terrible onslaught of, of, of social media jabs that we're going to get. I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I have to take the Jaguars just so I can try to catch up to you here. Um, Cause we both know we're going to both, we're going to both be picking against the Jaguars over the final two weeks of the season. So I got to do it here. It's, it's, now or never. Got to take the Jags, even though I really don't think they're going to win this game. But I'm taking them. Uh, you know, if if they were, if they had any chance, I mean, this is their best one. You talked about yeah. earlier, just with, the, with everybody out. I mean. Said that last week, too. Uh, but, but let's not. I mean, the Jets' defense, at times, can be decent. They've got great tacklers. C.J. Mosley. Quincy Williams, former Jaguar, Quinnen Williams, his yeah, brother. He's having a heck of a year. He is. And, and now, again, a lot of the same issues that he had in Jacksonville. He never seems to be in the right place. But boy, is he fast, and boy, can he tackle. So Yeah, he's, he's getting those highlight plays, that's for sure. He is, and he's leading the team in tackles, if I'm not mistaken. I don't even know the answer to that question. Let's see here. Yeah, fact check me on that one. I'm pretty sure. I think he's leading the team in tackles. I will. 
I will. I'm pulling it up right now. Just all the Jaguars that go on and, and, and just make well, a name for themselves elsewhere. Mosley has the most tackles. Quincy okay. Williams has 93 tackles, two sacks, um, four passes defended, three forced fumbles. You're telling me you couldn't use a little bit of that here? What's Mosley got? How many tackles does he have on the year? 132. Oh, geez. Okay. I was far off. I don't know where I heard that or where that came to my head. So glad but we still, that I mean, one. 93 tackles. Yeah, I mean, nothing to scoff at. Wonder how how many Damian Wilson has, and I mean, he's not a thumper like that. He's he's definitely a yeah mover and guy, but he's still he's out there making plays, and they've got some playmakers across that defense. They really do. So you know, yeah, what's it, really impressive is be the, it. the three forced fumbles and the passes defended. Um, he's making those highlight plays. Yeah, but yeah, that'll do it. I'm desperate for the Jaguars to win this game just so I can catch up with Jeremy here. <laughs> you got anything else to add, bud? I don't, man. I don't. I just hope that uh, it's not embarrassing on Sunday or whatever day we end up playing. Yeah. Hopefully it's Sunday just so we can. I don't know, though. Tuesday game would be fun, too. I, I didn't hate the uh, the onslaught of, of week midweek football. Yeah. I think they should do doubleheader Monday nights every week. Yeah, I I would like that too. I More mean, I think coverage. any person that likes the NFL, that enjoys football, wants to see football every day. Yeah, that's fair. My my thing is just how many games, and this would be good for the NFL too, because I think it's it's better for exposure how many games in the four o'clock slate and even the one o'clock slate obviously because there are more especially early in the season how many of those games just get you know hidden somewhere and in, in local markets mm-hmm. and you know nobody sees it i think it'd just be great for for national uh exposure obviously the nfl is the biggest professional sports league in all of sports but you know extra extra exposure would never hurt and we would get to watch more football so yeah no doubt about it that'll do it for the show though Shout out to Bold City Brewery once again, one and only sponsor of the show. Check them out at boldcitybrewery.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Bold City Brewery. Enjoy the rest of your week, Duval, and hopefully we can get a Jags W this weekend, if for nothing else but my pride with these pick'ems. All I want right. for Christmas is a Jaguars victory. There <laughs> I said it. That's right. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever you guys out there celebrate. Hope it's a great time with your family. All right. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Talk to you later, Duval. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code program. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.